Welcome to Refocus. I'm your host, Trevor Wilson. This is a podcast of Sunday school lessons that I've taught, some sermons that I have preached. Uh, I have various guests at different times. Uh, Basically, the, the whole idea is to just kind of refocus back on the Word of God, going back to those Bible stories, studying the scriptures. Let's just, just kind of get out of ourselves, out of our own thinking, and go back to the Word of God and see what He has to say. I love those old Sunday school lessons when we were kids. We seem to have gotten away from some of those, just the bare bones bottom of what the Word of God, the meat and potatoes, if you will. So I hope you enjoy it and pass along and share. Now, let's get to the lesson. Hello, uh, this is uh, Steve Wilson once again, still going through the book of Matthew. I hope you've been enjoying this study. We have progressed all the way, almost to the end here of chapter 16. We have covered up through, uh, let's see, we're at verse 26. We have two verses left, 27 and 28. Um, now, verses 27 and 28 of chapter 16 somewhat tie into the, the events uh, that begin chapter 17. I really would prefer to try to cover 27 and 28 separately, uh, but it's only two verses, so I'm not sure how long that's going to take. Um, you know, sometimes what I want to say takes quite a while. Sometimes it doesn't take quite as long as I think it will, but as I'm doing most of this kind of off the cuff, I don't always know where I'm going to go with some of these things, but, you know, we're going to we're going to take a shot at it anyway and kind of uh, see where it leads us, and, you know, we'll try to keep it within about the 15-minute time limit there for our uh, you know, for the podcast. But anyway, here we are, chapter uh, 16, verses 27 and 28. Let's read them. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, I had have mentioned before that there are basically four verses in this chapter 16 that are very that they can be very controversial if you don't get them interpreted right now we've covered verse 18 where uh, you know we have the whole thing where you know referring to Peter's the rock and all that sort of thing and how that's been so misinterpreted over the years and in verse 19 um, <clears throat> with uh, you know the kingdom of heaven and so on, binding and loosing the things that are, uh, you know, stated and done here on this earth. Again, horrible misinterpretation and, uh, you know, some major religions thinking that Peter is the the first pope and that the pope has, he's infallible and he has the ability to bind God. You know, no man has the ability to bind God. Um, That's just an absurd concept. But nonetheless, uh, you know, that's just how man's reasoning sometimes goes. But whatever the case, we've covered those already. I'm not going to get back into those. But in verses 27 and 28, we have the last two. So um, in verse uh, 27, you know, we'll get to that here, that controversy here in the last sentence in just a few moments. But to begin with, it says, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Well, this is one of the passages 
that um, one of many passages that link the, the <clears throat> Jesus Christ the Son and God the Father uh, as one. And you know, I know it doesn't mention the Holy Spirit here, but it, it does mention the Father and the Son and ties them together and again contributes to our belief that of the Trinity being three in one, you know, three different personalities, three different presentations, three different understandings, three personhoods of all the same person. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, all with different tasks, yet all being the very same um, the, the very same God. So, <clears throat> you know, again, this is just one of those that easily you can see the Son of God and the Son of Man, or the Son of Man, rather, and uh, God the Father being tied together. But the, the topic is, of course, the return of Jesus Christ. Now, <clears throat> Matthew, he's beginning to get into prophecy here. And as we move forward, he gets into it a little more in chapters 24 and 25 pretty heavily. The thing that I have always felt with Matthew is that he has a tendency to kind of um, mix the second coming and the rapture kind of together. You know, the whole of eschatology, he kind of looks at and comments about it without necessarily giving you the time frame or, you know, how they're divided. Um, and so you have to be very careful as you read through these passages to understand what he's talking about. And you kind of need to, you know, look in, in Revelation and some of the other passages, <clears throat> Daniel and, and so on, that talk about the end time. So you get a feel for what occurs during those different time frames. Now, I'm a uh, a pre-trib guy, I believe that uh, Jesus Christ comes prior to the uh, revealing of the Antichrist. When he comes uh, in the rapture, he comes in the clouds, and the sound of the trump uh, we hear, and uh, the dead in Christ shall rise and go to meet him in the air. And it, so there's a seven-year period there where we are participating in the marriage supper of the Lamb, but while here on earth... There is tribulation, and I'm, I'm not going to get into all of that, but you have that tribulation period of seven years. The Antichrist rises and does his thing, and at the end of the seven years, there's the Battle of Armageddon. Christ returns, and he sets up, he returns, actually sets foot on the Mount of Olives, and comes to the earth and sets up his kingdom. And then for a thousand years, he reigns. At the end of that, there's a Battle of Gog and Magog, and Satan is cast into the lake of fire once and for all. He's bound during that thousand years. So anyway... What happens is Matthew refers sometimes to the millennial reign, sometimes to the tribulation period, um, and you have to be very careful as you read through there to, to keep those two um, separated. Now, I you know I think in this passage he's referring more to the millennial reign because as you read there and then you read into chapter 17 where he begins to talk about the transfiguration, uh, you begin to see some of the elements, some of the events that occur during the uh, millennial reign. So I, I think that's what he's referring to here when he talks about, um, you know, the, God, the, the Son of Man and the Son of God coming and the angels and, and, and all that sort of thing. But the, the controversial part that he brings up is, then he shall reward every man according to his works. You see, 
you know, a lot of people try to seize upon that and say, see, there's, you know, man is judged by his works, and so we can earn our salvation and whatnot. Well, he never once mentions salvation here. What he mentions are rewards, when he shall reward every man according to his works. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's a time of judgment that occurs, and man, you know, everybody, when they, when they stand before God, you know, we're all judged based on our works. The problem is our works fail. Our, our works condemn us. And, and so, you know, the lost man, when I mean, he stands before God, he's judged by his works. Well, you know, his works are insufficient. The Christian is judged by his works. But the problem, the good thing is, the Christian, while we're condemned by our works as well, we have a mediator. Jesus Christ stands between us and God and says, yes, the works are insufficient, but my blood has covered the sins of this individual. He has put his faith in me and he's mine. And so we are given passage into heaven, whereas those who stand before God with the works alone and they have no mediator are condemned to hell. So that's how this whole idea of being judged by our works works. Um, <clears throat> so, folks, if, if you're out there trusting in being a good person and doing the right thing and being benevolent and kind and all those, those works won't get you anywhere. There's filthy rags, the Bible says. So don't, don't trust in those works. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ because he's the one who's coming back and it is his grace and his mercy that is going to give us passage into heaven. So trust in him. So verse 28, he says, Verily I say unto you, there shall be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So he's referring to these individuals that he's addressing, <clears throat> and then when you get into chapter 17, you see who they are, because we get into the transfiguration, and uh, he's kind of giving us a preview of what happens. And so what he's saying is somebody's going to see this, you know, God in this form, and so they see that in the tra transfiguration, and we'll get into that later. You know, you know Peter and uh, Peter and James, and you know, they they go up into a high mountain with God. But in verse 28, those are the ones he's referring to. He says, some of you are going to see this happen. You're not, they're not going to see the actual event, but they're going to see it in when they're taken up to the high mountain at, at the transfiguration. <clears throat> um, and so, you know, a lot of people look at this and they get everything out of context. They get confused as to who he's referring to in uh, in this passage because he's he's saying that you know some there will see it and so people there are those who believe that Christ has already come and um, and there you know there, this is misconstrued because obviously none of those men who lived during that period of time are alive today um, they're not going to see the rapture. They're not going to see the coming of the uh, of uh, the Son of Man. You know when he comes and establishes his kingdom on this earth, and they're not going to see him in that final battle. Now, 
having said that, they will see him from a heavenly standpoint because that's where they are now. Um, but they're not going to see him as human beings, you know, from an earthly standpoint. So, you know, that's kind of our fourth point of controversy that people can get really kind of out of whack on this whole thing. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, they when they get into 17, and I guess I'm going to have to cover just a little bit because we've got some time left. When they get into verse 17, it says, in, I mean, chapter 17, and after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother. I said two of them, and Peter and James, it's, there's three of them, Peter, James, and John, and bringeth them up to a high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. And then he goes on to describe what they see there. Um, of course, he talks about Moses and Elijah. We begin to see, um, you know, when you get in the book of Revelation and you start um, seeing the events that occur there and you have the two witnesses, there's a lot of speculation as to who those two witnesses will be. This is one of those passages, I believe, that uh, indicate that uh, Moses and Elijah will will be um, those two, uh, you know, reincarnated or how, whatever kind of, you know, f word you want to use to describe those beings during a time of tribulation who preach the gospel and then are uh, and then are killed and 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 all that sort of thing. Um, you know, the th another thing is, of course, Moses and Elijah. We we don't really know what happened to him. God took Elijah up in a chariot of fire and Moses, we don't know what happened to his body. The body does the Bible doesn't describe, you know, what his passage from earth to heaven was really like and how that occurred. And, you know, the body couldn't be found. <clears throat> so uh, there there are two of very few people who um, didn't see death. Um, so you know, that kind of gives us an indication as to who might be the two witnesses to come during the tribulation. Um, but in this transfiguration, Peter, James, and John says, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth him up into a high mountain uh, apart, and was transfigured before them. That just simply means he was transformed. And his face did shine as the sun, his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elias, or the, or Elijah, uh, talking with him. <clears throat> so, you know, we see these men come with Christ. We see um, Peter, James, and John seeing Christ in a very different form, uh, very different manner, you know, his, his face... Um, shone like the sun, and his raiment was, was white as light. So, you know, they're picturing when you see the descriptions that are given in Scripture with regard to Jesus Christ when he comes back, this is, this is the way he's described. This is what's going to be seen as he comes in the air, and, and, and uh, the saints are then called up, and then when he comes back at a later time, um, as, as we believe is being referred to here, he's going to come in the same form. You're going to see that splendor, that beauty, that heavenly type presentation. So I'll talk about that a little bit more in our next podcast, kind of clear that up for you if I haven't confused you too much here. So uh, be sure and stay tuned for, you know, when we get that posted. Uh, but for now, 
Uh, I pray this may have helped you some. God bless.